Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and the new Delta 8 capsules. When you use the discount code Colby Show, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, discount code Colby Show, you save 15% off your online order. Again, a botanical company. Com. They're great people. If you have any questions, give them a call, 405-458-9699. The thing I love about them most is that they're genuinely all about helping people live a better life. So don't hesitate to ask any questions that you may have. And again, save 15% off your CBD, your Kratom, or your Delta 8 at abotanicalcompany.com with the discount code Colby Show. All right, today's conversation with my weekly Wednesday guest, Aaron Davis. Aaron Davis, what's going on today? Not much, just uh, trying to stay warm. A little chilly today. Yeah, the last like uh, like week has been pretty awful. I guess we had we had one sunny day last week, I think. Right? Monday was pretty nice. Well, I went to a lot on Monday. It, it was nice down there. I don't really, uh, I don't know what the day was like here, but yeah. But the last couple, uh, couple of chilly days. What are you doing, Lawton? Uh, I went to the Wichita uh, Mountain Wildlife Refuge and try to take some pictures i uh failed miserably but down there just hung out there for for the day i i saw that you uh you have your store going now right not yet uh i'm working on it getting the store up on my website but i've uh i just decided you know what i could just start you know selling prints without actually having my store done and then when oh, i have my store done i just you know I'll, I'll have to put less effort into you know Right. The, the middle ground work part of it. But yeah, just, uh, just trying nice. to do something, trying to make some some profit off my stuff. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah. dude. I mean, I'm not even I'm not bullshitting you. It's it's good stuff. Like every time I see your photos, I'm like, holy shit. Like Aaron's like a legit photographer. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> I mean, I feel like yeah, somebody yeah. that would like those are quality pictures. Somebody that you know, sells photos would be the person taking those. So thank you. I'm uh, I feel like I'm getting better. I, I didn't own a camera until like November. So like I've, I've definitely noticed, uh, not like a fast, like improvement, but like I've noticed improvements, which is, it's nice, but yeah, trying to take pictures of uh wildlife. There's just been, there's been quite a few days where I go out for like hours and just see nothing. And then, you know, it's it's tough to not feel a little defeated after that. But, yeah. You know, I get over it and I go back out in a few days. I feel like it's a lot like hunting. I mean, the final result is obviously different, but like, I feel like it's I, it's I would, very yeah. similar to going hunting and, and you're, you know, you have to be very patient and you have to obviously be quiet and you have to, you know, wait until you get like the right shot, take advantage of your yeah. shot when you have it. Yeah, I would say it's exactly like that. I yeah. usually, uh, I usually go out and I'll, uh, I'll just hike around and like, I, I know like certain areas and like, uh, like animals like aren't really active in the middle of the day. So like, I know like around sunset and sunrise is when I need to be out in these areas and, you know, I'll walk around and maybe something will pop out of the tree line or I'll turn a corner. But, uh, next time I go out, I found some otters, I found an otter den out there. So I'm just going to go just sit my ass like on a rock or like in some trees for like eight hours if I have to, until I see them. Nice. If I see them. Nice. So yeah. Don't uh, mess with the den, like man. I feel like that's uh, just asking for trouble. I'll try not to. They, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize how how mean otters are. They'll uh, yeah. those are prime predators. But yeah, I'll uh, I'll try not to uh, <laughs> step on their den. Might come back without a foot. What is the what's the thing that you feel like you didn't expect as far as like photography that like has now become like something that just is a challenge or just like completely unexpected? Um. So like obviously I started I well, I don't know I guess it's not obvious but I started doing like OU football games or like the first time that I got really dove into photography and going to the games I know I'm going to get good images like uh, all I yeah. have to do if I'm on the field and you just have like some instinct or understanding of how the game works you kind of know where to be and where they're going like if it's third and long you know they're probably passing the ball so focus you know you always try and follow the ball too so like you just kind of know instinctually and if you know the teams and stuff you kind of know where to go and you're going to get 50 to 100 good images during a you know three and a half hour game then switching to like wildlife and landscape landscape's a little easier but wildlife man it's i'm not a i'm not a very patient person yeah and that's why, like, I tried hunting when I was a kid, and I just sat in, a, like, a deer stand in a blind with my, my grandpa or whatever for hours. I was like, I can't do this. And it's it's the same thing. I never thought that, like, photography would require me to become a more patient person because it's the way I started. But it's the patience and the uh, the amount of times that you just get absolutely nothing. Yeah, that makes sense. Is that is like wildlife and landscapes like what you ultimately want to to photograph, or you, is that just like your current thing? No, it's it's what I want to do. I'll like I would love to go back out and shoot fo- like sports again, because uh, it's kind of similar. I, I like action photography and like yeah. I don't, I don't like I'm not really into like posing people and like <laughs> right. trying to you know like portraits and stuff like that. It's not really my thing. So. I, I think wildlife and sports are like the two things that I enjoy doing the most. Landscape, obviously, I enjoy if I'm in a beautiful place in the mountains or something, and like it, like I just I have to get a picture here, like it's beautiful. But wildlife and sports, I just they're they're so satisfying, I guess, to like get that great shot of Trey Sermon hurtling over a defender, or you know, Ceedee Lamb make a diving catch, or right. Um, you know, uh, an elk walking out of the tree line. Like it's, it's a little, it's more satisfying because there's so many times, especially in wildlife that you get nothing. Like I've been out looking for bald eagles at least five or six times in the past three weeks. Never. I have seen one, but it was too far to, I couldn't even, I couldn't do anything with it. Oh. But I just know like if I see one, it's going to like, I might pee my pants. <laughs> Well, the payoff, the payoff with wildlife is just, it's greater because there's so much more failing failure. Right. Well, there's an element of luck involved, right? Oh, absolutely. Like, like, I would say it's like 85% luck. Yeah. It's, it's like 15% knowing. Yeah. Yeah. 15% knowing where to go and knowing when to be there. And then 85% just pure luck. Right. Uh, there are like 15 or 20 deer right around my house that, uh, just kind of do their thing. So. Any, uh, any, any of them have any bucks, any antlers? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Couple. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll, come, I'll come drive around. Yeah. I've seen deer, I've seen quite a few deer, but it, they were all does and I'm getting a little bored put, taking pictures of the does. Every once in a while at night I hear coyotes. So 
okay, I'm fine. One of those. I'm look. I'll take pictures of mostly anything right now. Yeah, I'll take a picture of a skunk if I have to. There are uh, the people next door to us have a little baby goat farm. Okay, I can. I get it. I can. If uh, goats fancy you. I, I I could hang out with a baby goat. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we, you know, we live out in the sticks. So there's lots happening out here. And then we have, um, you know, since the that big storm that hit and all the trees came down, mm-hmm. there are just like hundreds of squirrels around here because there are just, you know, acorns nowhere to go everywhere. Right. Like there's just oh, okay. yeah everywhere on the ground. So. I don't even see like it's it's funny because I don't ever see I see like one squirrel a week at my house, but I guess I don't have any trees, so yeah. that might be why. Like at any given time, I can look out the front door and uh, I I mean three or four or five squirrels just kind of running around gathering food and doing their thing. Nice. Yeah. So and then we still have a bunch of we still have a bunch of broken branches that are still stuck in the trees. And so, like, every once in a while, I get caught watching the squirrels, like, run around in the branches because I'm expecting them to, like, jump on one of the broken limbs and, and jar it loose <laughs> a little bit, and then the whole thing come crashing down. But, yeah. Or maybe that's just my twisted, like, want. No, no. That's, <laughs> I'm like, come on. That's good. That, that's nature's entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. Knock it out of the tree. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple branches that are like massive to the point that like when I walk outside, like kind of keeping an eye up just to make sure that nothing's going to come down on my head. Cause it, it could be uh, like an icicle. Yeah. It could be fatal. So, <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. I like the background, man. Thank you. Yeah. Big, uh, big, big Conor McGregor fan. He, uh, you know, greatest fighter ever, obviously. Um, and I relate to him. You know, I like to take naps. He likes to take naps. Oh. The greatest ever. Certainly Look, the uh, the biggest superstar ever in the sport. You think so? I, it's yes. got to be between him and Ronda Rousey. Yeah, I think Connor's, Connor's star has just grown so big that, yeah, I mean, for as great as Ronda was and for as well-known as Ronda was, I mean, Ronda could never do the pay-per-view numbers that that Connor did. So, I mean, Connor's spotlight has just superseded the sport. I mean, I, I think what's interesting about the two is Ronda didn't I mean, Ronda just doesn't have the personality that Connor has. Right. So like outside of the octagon, she's not as interesting, but she just kind of like became the huge superstar because she was just so dominant. Yeah. Like there was a point where you're buying a Ronda Rousey fight. You're paying 60 bucks for a Ronda Rousey main event card, knowing that her fight's going to last 30 to 45 seconds. Yeah. And then Conor McGregor, I mean, obviously, you know, one of the best, you know, MMA fighters of all time, but like, he's so divisive. You either love him or hate him. And right. I don't feel like you got that with Ronda Rousey. I feel like you either liked her or you didn't care. So yeah, I, I would, I think I'd probably agree that Conor McGregor probably, yeah. is a notch above where Rousey would be. Connor's so polarizing that, yeah, I mean, love him or hate him, you know him. And, yeah, I, I, he's just, he's the biggest superstar the sport's ever had. I mean, he's just, he's massive. 
I mean, and, and yeah, you consider what sure. the money he made in that Mayweather fight and, you know, the spotlight that gave him and just, you know, especially old Connor, uh, you know, all the, the shit talking every time that he fought and just, you know, the, he just, he, he became bigger than the sport. His personality became bigger than the sport. Yeah. Do you think, uh, you keep, I don't, I, I admittedly have not kept up with UFC a ton over the past few years. I used to be yeah like every, every, you know, pay-per-view card, like I'm going to a, a sports bar and I'm watching, I'm paying $10 yeah. to sit down and watch it. Cause I'm not going to pay 60. I'm like, come on, I'm a cheap ass, but I'll pay $10 to go eat some wings and watch a fight. Like I, the first fight I ever watched was, uh, I think it was UFC 101. I remember it was, it was Anderson Silva and, uh, Forrest Griffin was the fight that I was like, okay, this is badass. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Awesome. And so like Anderson Silva was my go-to, like if he's on this card, I'm going to watch this, 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 this event. But I kind of, I kind of tuned out over a period of time, but did Connor kind of like, did his attitude change because you mentioned him he, you he, the way he used to be with talking trash and and all that stuff did it change after the uh the incident on the bus where he uh he threw that guardrail at the bus or whatever happened you know what I'm talking about yeah, yeah. The all specifics. the all the habib stuff right yeah was it that or was it losing to habib that uh kind of made him a little bit nicer i think it's probably a combination of, well i'll say this i Every time he's lost, I think he's gotten a lot of credit for how he's handled the law. I mean, he's handled all of his losses like a professional. Um, You know, he's not bitched and moaned and cried and, you know, blamed anything for for why he's lost. He's just said, you know, they got me today and they were the better fighter. And, And so I think that's the one thing that even if you hate him, you've always had to kind of give it up to him in defeat. He's been pretty gracious, but... Uh, I think it's the combination of losing to Habib with as much as as went into that thing, and obviously Habib, you know, going after him and the big melee after the fight. Uh, I think it was the combination of that, and also just you know, growing up, becoming a father, uh, just being a you know an older, more mature human being. I think plays a role in that as well, and and that's something that you know in the lead up to this Poirier fight, the first the first fight like five or six years ago. You know, he was in Dustin's head, and they were both young fighters, and and they were both obviously uh, much more immature than they are now. And you know, th- they both kind of talked about the the mental warfare part of things, and they were both just like, you know, that doesn't impact us anymore. And you know, on, on in separate um, situations, they both basically said like, you know, I'm a grown up now. Uh, I don't need all that stuff. Like, I have kids, and you know, just I think just you know. Being married, being a father, being, you know, all that, all that kind of plays a, a role in kind of how you, I guess, handle that stuff. Do you, okay, so I've, I've got a couple of questions from, about this fight. One, just from the fight aspect, and I, and I definitely want to get your opinion on it because you watch a lot of UFC, and like I said, I don't. I felt like, so Connor definitely won the first round. I felt Did he like. He definitely won the first round? I, I say definitely like 10, nine, like not like a, it wasn't like a dominating fashion, but I think he probably would have won the first round with most judge with most of the judges. At least that was the, the feeling I got from watching the fight and then Twitter. Yeah. I, I think you, you could make a case that Poirier won that first round. Like I, I I'm, I'm not saying Connor didn't win the first round. I just don't think it's a, it's a guarantee. Those, those leg okay. kicks, man, were, I mean, obviously that's what won the fight. Yeah, so I mean, right. 
Okay, so regardless uh, of the first round, I felt like, and I don't know, maybe it was because Connor's leg was so messed up that he just, he didn't feel like he could go. Uh, was the fight, it was five rounds, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Maybe his leg was just so messed up at that point that he didn't feel like he could go five rounds, but I felt like he was a little too aggressive in that second round, especially when he got pushed up against the fence and got rocked a little bit. I thought if he would have covered up, he probably could have extended the fight. But he he got rocked and just kind of started swinging. And I don't know. I mean, do you think that? I mean, do you think that he could have extended the fight if he would have just covered up? Do you think that because his leg was broken, that he just was kind of like, I need to, I can't do another three rounds. Yeah. I think his leg was so compromised that the fight was basically over anyway. So, like, he was either going to have to make a stand or he was just going to get completely picked apart the rest of the way. And okay. it was just going to be a long, drawn-out ass-whipping. Because he couldn't move. I mean, yeah. that, that was a dead leg. And, uh, yeah, he was in trouble. I thought he should have been probably a little bit more aggressive in the first when those leg kicks started landing because he knew mm -hmm. the damage that he was taking. And, you know, he, he said that in the, pro, in the post presser, he knew the damage that he was taking on that leg. And it was so compromised by the second. I mean, obviously that's what led to the outcome, but I thought in the first, he should have kind of like went after a couple of those landed, he probably should have just went all in at that point while he still had some ability and it wasn't completely gone and tried to do a little bit more. So which is interesting because from what I remember Conor McGregor, you know, five years ago, I feel like he was like the epitome of aggressiveness yeah. in the UFC. And like he would, yeah, like if he had an opportunity, like he, he wasn't going to not try and capitalize and end the fight immediately. So, yeah, my, my biggest thing with this fight, it was like, I, I picked Poirier to win. And that's not to say that I didn't think Conor couldn't win. I, I definitely think Connor could have won this fight. And I don't think Connor's done by any means. He's still a scary dude and a dangerous dude and a guy that has power. And Poirier even mentioned in his post presser that uh, one of those lefts got through and kind of flashed him for a minute. So, you know, it's it's not like Connor doesn't still have that punching power and doesn't still have that speed. And there were moments that, you know, Connor with the hands looked quicker than Dustin in that first round. And and like I said, the power's still there. Um, my biggest thing was if Dustin could survive the early onslaught, I felt like it was just going to be Poirier. Um, but you know, Connor's so dangerous in that first minute and he's not only powerful, but he's so quick. He's so athletic and you never know like where the strikes are coming from. Cause some, you know, so he's so creative with the way that he attacks you. It might be the shoulders. It might be, you know, a, a kick. Like it's just, he comes at you from all these different angles and he comes at you so fast and so hard that sometimes that first minute or two can be really overwhelming. So my biggest thing in this fight was if Dustin if Dustin is is careful enough to get out of you know that that initial Connor blitz, um, I you know he was he's just been through so many of these wars against elite competition that I think in the grand scheme of things he, he would get it done. But Connor's still a very dangerous guy, and uh, yeah, I think I think the biggest issue here was when a, a few of those leg kicks landed. Connor probably should have have kicked it into turbo drive even more and tried to to land something big in that first round. So, okay. Here, so is the the okay, so Habib retired for like did he retire or did he not retire? 
Okay, so basically, I, after he beat Gaethje I, I last he, year, his father died, by the way, which was his coach, right. mentor, best friend. And that was supposed to be his last fight because his dad died, right? Yeah. So his dad always talked about him getting to 30-0. and 0. So his last fight was number 29. He beat Justin Gaethje. He's 29-0, and 0, and he retires at the end of the fight. So there was still a lot of conversation, a lot of conversation about Habib getting to 30 because that's what his dad always wanted for him. And Dana kind of, even though he retired, Dana White basically like kept him alive in the sport and, and was like, I don't want anybody to make an emotional decision, blah, blah, blah. We're, we're going to give him a little time to make sure this is what he really wants rather than just accept the retirement and accept the belt. So leading up to this main event, there was the idea that Habib was going to make a decision and either vacate the title so these guys could fight for the title or just just say he was going to come back. So in the week before this fight took place, Dana and Habib had a conversation at Fight Island and Dana in his press availability basically said Habib wants to see so- he w- would have to see something special for him to come back. So if you kind of read between the lines of that About a week before that had taken place, Habib, in a press conference overseas, was asked if either Poirier or Conor McGregor did anything for him as far as, like, excite him to fight again. And he's beaten both of those guys, and he beat both those guys pretty easily. So he said no, like, those guys don't interest me at all. And then he was asked, like, what what would it take to get you back in the octagon? And he, he basically said something like $100 million or, like, a ton of money or something like that. Well... Only one person can really do that, right? Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is the right. only opponent that can bring you that kind of payday in a big fight. So when Dana said uh, Habib would have to see something special to come back, what that meant, in my opinion, was if Conor wins this fight, we're going to get a Conor-Habib rematch. It's going to be the biggest event in UFC history, and it's going to be a, that giant payday. It's going to be Conor's rematch. He would have just beaten Dustin Poirier, so he would have a, a you know, a big-time fight win going into that. Like, it would have been huge. And then, it, you know, if if uh, Poirier wins, then it's easy to just vacate the title and say that Habib's moving on, and then you're not, you're not, you're not like, married to one or the other. So that's... When they when they put it that way, it was... I, I thought, at least, it was pretty clear what the intention was. If McGregor wins, Habib's going to fight McGregor again. If Poirier wins, he's going to vacate the title. Yeah, and there's... I mean, McGregor lost, so there's no... Like, you can't... There's no way you could justify McGregor fighting Habib for the title, which I asked because it seemed like the reasonable conclusion after Saturday was that those two guys fight one more time. And I know McGregor's lower on the rankings. Yeah. Which, it, you know, admitted, they, last time I watched UFC, the rankings were, like, just starting. They <laughs> yeah. just started it to yeah. do that, like, publicly. So I don't know how you, uh, how you justify putting... McGregor in a you know a title fight, but I mean those dudes have to fight one more time, right? I mean they, yeah, the there, series is one one. There will definitely be a trilogy fight. I don't know that now's the time to do it again because Dustin Poirier is the in the driver's seat for that division, and it's the most talented and star power division in the entire sport. So there, there's such a logjam of championship caliber fighters that deserve a title shot that I don't think you can go back to the Connor fight. And and like I said, I, I think with what's happened between those two guys, you can the the trilogy fight's always going to be there. It's not like you have to like strike now 
to get viewers to watch that. Like, if you did that a year from now, people are, are going to watch. You know what I mean? Like, it's, you kind of always. They're still in their early 30s. Yeah, you, you kind of always have that trilogy card to play down the road. So, uh, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to immediately go to a Connor Dustin rematch. Um, I You know, I think Michael Chandler either deserves a shot or Charles Oliveira deserves a shot. Uh, you know, you still have Justin Gaethje, who was the last uh, guy to lose to Habib, which basically you look at everybody in this division has lost to Habib. So, you know, take that for what Dustin lost to Habib, Connor lost to Habib, Gaethje lost to Habib. So, yeah. I, I don't, it's, dude, it's such a good division. Like, it's, you can't really go wrong with anything you decide to do there. I kind of want to see Habib one more time. I mean, he's yeah. going to be, I, it's hard, like, it's one of those situations where, like like you said, he's beaten like everybody in that division that's worthy of a title shot. So yeah. it's kind of a hard sell, I would imagine. But thirty and zero, like that's a that's a nice round number. I would, you know, I think the the Charles Oliveira fight with Habib would be interesting because Oliveira is good on the ground, uh, better on the ground than maybe any of those other guys. Um, and then Michael Chandler, I think, would be interesting. If if Oliveira or Chandler ends up with the belt, um, I think it would be interesting to see if maybe Habib would come back at that point, just a like maybe a year from now, one of those guys has the belt and he, you know, he hasn't fought either one of them and and makes like one last statement. Or here's the other thing. Don't put it past Connor maybe winning a couple fights and then them going to a Habib Connor fight down the road. I mean, if, if there is a big payday to be had, let Connor get back on the winning side of things. Let him win a couple fights and, and you know, get a, a little bit of momentum behind him again and then go back to the Habib fight. That would be interesting, especially if Connor were to re-get, uh, regain the, the belt, then that'd be massive. That's, that's, I mean, those two dudes, that's where the money's at. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, even to someone that didn't watch UFC for three years, like I was absolutely 100% aware of everything going on with Connor and Habib. Yeah. Yeah, how could you not be? It's just, yeah, it's... it. Yeah, Habib is just... I know a lot of people don't like the, you know, the wrestling and the jiu-jitsu part of MMA. I think most people like the stand-up wars, you know, the right. the punching and the kicking. Um, and, and look, I, I don't disagree. That That's way more entertaining to watch two guys just slug it out. But... Like, Habib is so good on the ground. He's so dominant once he gets you down that, like, for me, from an entertainment standpoint, watching him do that is as exciting as watching, like, the best punchers in the sport because, like, he's he's just, he's a master at his craft. Like, once you're on the ground, it's it just feels like it's game over. Like, he is going to completely smother you and just beat either beat the hell out of you or submit you in a matter of moments. Like, it's it's crazy. Are you telling me that people don't find it entertaining to watch Roy Nelson lay on top of a dude and like kind of just <laughs> give him like three inch jabs to the top of the skull? Oh, uh, yeah, it's yeah. I, I look, th- there is a portion of the fan base that I think respects it and, and does like it. But if you're just asking the the standard MMA fan or casual fan that may not watch every day. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, you know, and, and look, they, they make no secret about, uh, what, what the fan base enjoys and what the fan base wants to see and the kind of fighters they're looking for as far as bringing in new talent, right? Like Dana White has his contender series 
And basically, they want knockouts. Like that's what, and, and they make it no secret. They, you know, they tell these guys like, "We want you to come in and knock your opponent out, and that's how you're going to get your UFC contract." So they don't, they don't make it a secret that like that's what they want to see because that's what the fans want. Like it's not a right. I, I mean, like who doesn't want? Yeah, it's who doesn't want to see a mule kick into fight? Like yeah, I mean it's it's more entertaining for sure. But I I think that and I. I think there's something to be said, though, about the entertainment value of watching, you know, some guy try to lock in like a triangle or like uh, armbar, whatever yeah, the submission sure. is. And like the the back and forth, like chess match of like getting in or getting out of a submission. I remember there was a uh, an Anderson Silva fight. I can't remember who he fought. Um He had a couple of fights with him, but like Silva was just getting rocked the whole fight. Like not being aggressive like he normally would be, and like kind of out of shape, and then like out of nowhere he like pulls in like a, a triangle from the from the bottom or something like some ridiculous like submission he pulled out like in the final seconds of the last round to win the fight. And like that was that was just as entertaining as a knockout. Like I think it, people just want like a mixture. I think, yeah, I, you know knockouts, and then like if you're gonna get wrestling and jujitsu, like. Give me some stand-up, too. Right, yeah. But I'll admit, Roy Nelson, you know, crucifixing some guy and just, like, giving him <laughs> noogies isn't what I would call entertaining yeah. television. Well, you've got to be active. That's the thing. If you're going to go to the ground, right. like, it, it's, you know, there has to be the at least perception that something is going to happen from it. And, you know, that's why, uh, you know, the referees are watching to potentially stand you back up if you're not, you know, trying to capitalize on on a takedown, so... Uh, you know, I, I remember the the old UFC days. Like, I, I, me and my friends were those kids that would go rent, like, UFC 1 and 2 and, you know, on VHS and watch those old school UFCs. And, you know, you would have 30 minutes of these, you know, there weren't rounds back then, essentially. I mean, it, th- these guys would be on the ground for, like, 30 minutes at a time. And, uh, you know, obviously, from a, from an entertainment standpoint, just kind of like waiting the other guy out when it goes to the ground is, is obviously not the height of uh, getting people engaged. It was, uh, it was Chelsea Sonnen, by the way. Yeah. I was about to say was Chelsea. Sonnen, yeah. Fight. yeah. The, uh, the best trash talker in the history of the game, maybe. I mean, it caught Con- yeah. right there too, but man, yeah, Ch- Chelsea just cracked me up every time that he had a microphone. The, the great part about Chelsea Sonnen's trash talking was like, he, it's not like he was dominating. <laughs> he lost 17 fights. Like, Yeah. So I appreciate a guy that uh, just knows that trash talking is his greatest weapon. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he was he was really good, too. But, yeah, no. I mean, he wasn't obviously a, well, a, yeah. a like dominant champion or anything. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I just, I mean... I, I, that's how you sell a fight, right? Like it's just, it's everybody knows it's oldest time. Not everybody is good at it and not everybody can pull it off, but if you can pull it off, I mean, it's how you, you become a big name. It's how you sell a fight. It's how you kind of take those things to the next level. And Connor's the master at it. Yeah. They've been doing it for what? Probably a hundred years. Yeah. If not longer. Yeah. Say like, yeah, for sure. And, you know, some, some guys uh, kind of roll with it and some guys really take it personally. And, uh, you know, Habib was obviously one of those guys that uh, that didn't like it whatsoever. <laughs> you 
Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, I just thought I was going to sneeze, so I tried oh. to uh, shake it out. I, it looked like you got hit by a jab or something. Like you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying. I'm getting into the conversation. <laughs> trying to feel, you know, see what uh. it feels like. Um, last week you said your allergies were bad. I, my allergies have been horrible this morning. Like since I woke up, I just, my eyes have been red and watery and brutal. I haven't been outside today yet. So, uh, TBD on mine, but if yours are bad, then I'm sure that I'm going to walk outside and be on the edge of death. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk some NFL. We have a Super Bowl matchup. Obviously, uh, I think most people wanted to see Packers-Chiefs. That was the preferred matchup. But, I mean, getting Brady-Mahomes is is obviously not a bad thing. What would you think of the games on Sunday? The NFC game was, I thought it was great. Like, it was everything that I could have asked for from a, you know, a conference championship game. I got the defenses were making plays. Like, obviously, they forced turnovers, getting sacks. Like, the defense was having an impact on the game and making big plays. But the offenses were still able to produce, and you were able to watch both quarterbacks, even at their ages and, and you know, very different, like, points of their career and skill levels, even as close, as similar as they are, still show why they're Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Like, Tom Brady threw three interceptions— but there were still points in that game where, like, this dude looks amazing. And some of it you know, was, was mistakes by Green Bay. But you kind of got to look. That's part of the thing you, were, you love about Tom Brady is, like, the Scotty Miller touchdown, for example, at the end of the first half. I don't, like, I would assume that most quarterbacks would see that, like, mistake in coverage by Green Bay pre-snap or, you know, right after the snap. But Tom Brady did it. And, like, that's part of the thing that makes him amazing is how smart he is and how intelligent he is at the game. So you see those aspects, Aaron Rodgers making great plays and, you know, it kind of sucks that they had those two turnovers, like right at the end of the first half and then right coming out of the, coming into the second half. And both of them led to touchdowns, I think, but it was a great back and forth. And I really felt like it was going to come down to one of those quarterbacks needing to make a play to win the game. And unfortunately, Matt LaFleur decided that he didn't want that to happen. And... I mean, there's arguments for kicking the field goal, obviously. Either way, Green Bay was going to have to stop Tampa Bay or recover an onside kick, which was less, much less likely. But the NFC game was a lot of fun, and the AFC game, we've talked about it all year. Like, I just I don't see anybody beating the Chiefs. If right. Patrick Mahomes is on the right. field and he's got Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, it's really hard to fathom any team beating them. And they just kind of – Buffalo jumped out early, but like – from like the second quarter on, it was pretty much all Kansas City. Yeah. Um, the NFC game was like I think for about a quarter and a half, it was everything that we all wanted it to be. Right? It was it was why we all tuned in because it was Brady and Rogers both doing big things and both making big plays, and you know it was the two quarterbacks like being the stars of the game. And then, you know, obviously the end of the first half was just a complete train wreck for the Packers. And uh, Kevin King obviously had issues throughout the game. Uh, I was laughing. I I don't remember exactly what Tony Dungy said, but on that final, that Scotty Miller touchdown, Tony Dungy essentially tweeted basically like that's the worst 
defense I've ever seen in the game. And I'm paraphrasing, but uh, like Tony Dungy, you know, and, and Tony Dungy is like not one to necessarily criticize anyone for anything. But even Tony Dungy was pointing out how big of a massive blunder I mean, yeah. that was. There was for, no reason for it to happen. No, it, it, I mean, it should have never happened. Um, so, you know, that, that, it, that was just kind of a weird sequence where you had the interception that should have been a penalty, and then Tampa gets the ball back, and then they convert on fourth down, and then they, they obviously get the touchdown, and then they, you know, they, they get the early touchdown out of the locker room. And like at that point, I wasn't I wasn't completely counting Green Bay out because obviously Aaron Rodgers is more than capable of coming back. But I also didn't expect that the defense was going to give them the opportunity to maybe come back. And then Tom Brady all of a sudden goes into just I, whatever. I, I it was it was bizarre because Tom Brady's second half was horrible. Three yeah, interceptions. How many passes were just completely off target? I mean, not even to the receivers, and I'm not even talking about the interceptions. He finished that game 20 for 36. Like, there were balls that he was throwing that weren't even in the area code of his receiver. and uh, Which is, I mean, that's kind of been Tom Brady this year, though. Yeah, yeah. He's not at the point in his career where he's going to be the best quarterback for a vertical offense. Right. But, But yeah, then, you know, the Packers obviously climb back into it. They have two interceptions where... Aaron Rodgers has possession of the football with the opportunity to take the lead, and they fail on both of those. They went three and out twice after interceptions. Uh, and then, you know, obviously they had the uh, the opportunity inside the 10 where they could have scored. And, you know, credit the Buccaneers' defense for for even forcing the fourth down situation and, and getting it to that moment. Uh, LaFleur lost them the game in that moment, I thought. Like, there was just... That defense had been so shaky too. all day that, like, why would you trust the defense to have to make that many plays versus Aaron Rodgers to make one play? Right, like let, Aaron Rodgers, yeah, he, let let going to be the MVP. Let your best player or your best unit win you the game. Like, if it's not like they had to just get one stop, they had to stop them on a series to get the ball back. Like, it right. just asking the defense that had been that shaky all day to do that, I thought was wishful thinking at best. I, I do. There is something to be said. I mean, this is minuscule, and it's not really decision making. It's 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 different. But Aaron Rodgers shouldn't have run a touchdown in what was it like two plays before they kicked the field goal? Yeah. It was a second down. Well, like I think he easily could have ran that in. I think he had two chances on on on. I don't remember the first down. It was either first or second down, but definitely on third down he could have run it as well. Yeah, I I, I don't remember. I I I just remember the one play where he. Uh, he like right at the line of scrimmage. He decided to throw it to I don't know who's Robert Tanyan or who he decided to throw it to. But it was pretty well covered. Yeah, and obviously it was incomplete. But yeah, he could have easily ran those in. So I mean, some blame needs to go to Aaron Rodgers for not realizing that he he had an easy path to a touchdown, or at least he could have gotten down to the goal line or you know made it in an easier situation. Hundred percent. Yeah, on the next down. But yeah, just. Matt LaFleur just go like deciding to kick a field goal when you've got Aaron Rodgers in an NFC champion. Like if it's week eight, if it's week eight, okay, whatever. That's different. But it's the NFC championship game. You were there last year. You you got absolutely embarrassed by the 49ers. You get back there again, and arguably what is Aaron Rodgers' best season in the last 10 years? Yeah. And you say, Hey, I know that you have been completely revitalized this year and you have led us 
to 13 wins and we're in the NFC championship game, but we're going to kick a field goal and trust our defense. And I mean, it's, it sucks. feels like that happens a lot in the NFL where, uh, it doesn't happen with Andy Reed. He never takes a hand out the ball out of, uh, Patrick Mahomes, hands in those situations, but, or Chad Henney for that matter. And that's, you know, yeah. he's in two Super Bowls in a year. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was. It was. I still had fun though. As sloppy as the second half got, it still felt like it was coming down to the wire. Yeah. And who? And if that flag doesn't get thrown on that third down play for defensive holding, then who knows? Maybe Aaron Rodgers goes out there and he has a chance to win the game. But unfortunately, yeah, kind of on par with the NFL, and it was the right call. Like it, there was it was holding. Like he great. He definitely got a handful of jersey, but. Just fitting that for 59 minutes, the, the refs just kind of let him play. And then on the deciding play, there's a penalty. Right. No, I'm with you. It was it was an obvious penalty, and it should have been a penalty. But if you're going to call it one way the entire game, it's hard to completely flip that when when the game is on the line. Like, you've allowed that to happen all day, so don't don't make it a penalty at this point. Or if it had been a penalty all day, like, don't at that point let it slide. Like, that's the biggest issue is just be consistent throughout the game because when you're when you're sending a message that you're going to allow this to happen for 59 minutes and then you're going to penalize somebody for taking advantage of it in the final minute like that's crazy to me. So that's that's why I think it was a bad call just because they allowed guys to do that the entire game on both sides and it was happening all game. The Sean Murphy bunting interception at the end of the first half should have been a penalty. Yeah, I agree. I like yeah, like just I think that's, I think that's all fans want is just don't it, a ran, at a vital point in the game start doing something different when right. you're officiating. Right. Just be consistent, like you said, be consistent. And I think that everybody at home will be like Bucks fans would have been pissed, but you know, at the end of the day, they what are you gonna what are you gonna bitch about? That's the same way they had been calling it all game, and it had been worked in your favor multiple times in yeah. that game. So yeah. Uh, what what was your thought on? I, I saw a lot of these tweets, and it just kind of made me laugh. Like, uh, Tom Brady is now the GOAT. Like, did you not think he was before? I, yeah, what? I don't... <laughs> I, don't I just saw because a lot of he, people being like, Tom Brady's now the GOAT. I'm like, now he is? Like, are, it, you didn't think that before 12? today? I, I just... I don't know. It, it, I... I thought I thought that it was clearly established in the world <laughs> that when Tom Brady beat the Falcons in the Super Bowl, he that was his crowning of the greatest football player of all time. Yeah. When he passed Joe Montana and got that fifth Super Bowl, that established it, especially in the manner that he did it. Yeah. Against the Falcons. That clearly put him on the throne of the greatest football player of all time. And then he proceeds to go to went on a, to win another Super Bowl. So all that does is just strengthen his goat argument. Yeah, what? Because yeah. he wins the NFC Championship. Because he's what made the Super Bowl from both conferences. That's your that's your deciding factor <laughs> on him being the goat. Right. Yeah. Um. Well, and look, you know, he didn't even throw a touchdown pass in that that win against the Rams. What thirteen to three was the final one in that Super Bowl. Uh, and I remember right. when he won that one, it was the same thing. Like, oh, Tom Brady's now the goat. Like, okay. If you didn't think that before, like, I don't know that what he did in that game specifically was the, the like, move to maybe, you know, like, sway you. Or or same thing with today, like, if it, or yesterday or Sunday. 
if you didn't already think Tom Brady was the best, like was was the de- was him throwing three interceptions in the second half and the defense getting all those stops the the difference maker in you deciding that Tom Brady was now or or not now the goat? It just I don't know. I I, Here, I find these things funny. That's all. Here's an argument that we should be having, and I'm sure that it, there are people having it. And I don't know if we could get a real answer from one year, but the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick argument, that's an argument that I think that there's definitely some fuel on the fire at right now because I think there's one side where you just look at the rosters and the fact that the Patriots won, what, six or seven games this year was pretty impressive. And then obviously the fact that Tom Brady goes to the Super Bowl with Tampa Bay is very impressive, but their roster is on both sides of the ball is really damn good. So yeah. I think that's an argument that I, I would love to have because I think there's a lot of nuances and I think there's arguments for both sides still, even after this season. Yeah. I Like the thing about Tom Brady, that's di- like I, this was pointed out earlier in the week on Twitter. Tom Brady isn't that much better other than maybe not making as many mistakes, but like, from an ability standpoint, like he doesn't make Tampa's offense that much better than it was with Jameis Winston. But what he does do is he gives everybody on that team this this ultimate belief that you're going to win because you have Tom Brady, right? Like the, right. the legend of Tom Brady, the aura of Tom Brady just being on that team, like gives everybody on that roster like this extra belief that they can get it done. So I think there's the mental side of what Tom Brady brings to the table is something that can't be, you know, quantified, obviously, but it it matters significantly. Well, two, also, it does help that Tom Brady's not throwing 30 interceptions in a season. For sure, but look, he threw three in the the NFC Championship game. I mean, that was... He did. The the NFC Championship game was a typical Jameis Winston-type performance, right? He's going to make some big plays. He's going to throw some long touchdown passes, but he's also going to give the ball away multiple times. And the difference is... You know, the the guys around Tom Brady stepped up their game and made plays. And that's where, again, I think just having Tom Brady on your team gives you that belief that you can overcome anything and makes the guys around you just have probably an element of confidence that they wouldn't have if James Winston was your quarterback or if anybody else was maybe your quarterback. There's just there's there's a mental aspect that I don't think can be quantified when you have Tom Brady as as the starting QB and the leader. And going through the season that kind of like, at least for me, like I watched that Tampa Bay team and I like, it was easily noticeable. Like the one thing that was ultimately going to end up being their downfall, in my opinion, was the fact that everybody around Tom Brady couldn't step up to the moment. They weren't disciplined. Like they're, they're like all the primetime games that Tampa Bay was in in the regular season. They were terrible in all of them. And you, you could see Tom Brady, like, on the bench, just frustrated that the Bucks had like 15 penalties. Like, dudes couldn't like make the right plays. They couldn't stay disciplined, and it just seemed like he's gonna lose his mind playing with these guys. There's a reason that this team, it's and like it's not like outside of Antonio Brown and Leonard Fournette and Tom Brady. It's not like they added a bunch of pieces. Like it's the same team that they had last year outside right. of Tom Brady, really. Right. And those same issues that they had last year were you know still around this year with the discipline, but credit to Bruce Arians and Tom Brady. Like 
they fixed him. And I saw a report, and I don't remember if Tom Brady said this or if it was somebody around Tom Brady or around the Bucks, but they asked Tom what the difference was between or Bruce what the difference was, but between playing for Belichick and playing for Arians, and Arians just lets Tom Brady like control so much more. Yeah. Allows him to coach and just like take over practices and call drives and may you know who knows maybe if uh, Arians doesn't give Brady so much power in that offense that they don't get where they're at and they don't fix the discipline issues because there were what like there were they went a while yesterday and I you know the refs were letting them play but no penalties like it was night and day discipline wise from what we saw Tampa Bay early in the season to now yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, that's, and again, I think you just, the leadership of Tom Brady is something that, like, you, you know, you can't look at a stat sheet and and see how much that impacts the game, but there's no doubt that it does. Um, and yeah, the, the Belichick-Brady thing is, uh, like, I, I don't know how you argue for Belichick, at least as it stands today. Now, I also believe that Belichick this offseason is going to do everything in his power to get you know, like a Matt Stafford or an Aaron Rodgers or a Deshaun Watson or something at the quarterback position. And, uh, I mean, Aaron like, Rodgers goes to New England. Oh, I, I, I feel like Bill Belichick feels like his legacy is in danger because of what Tom Brady has accomplished. And he would be willing to mortgage the Patriots future to try and just even that score in 2021. I don't. I think Aaron Rodgers at New England would be a complete disaster. There is. I just cannot imagine a scenario where Belichick gives Aaron Rodgers as much freedom as Aaron Rodgers thrive. Like, like Aaron Rodgers is like the epitome of this thriving and like uh, free flowing offense. Yeah. And I don't know if Belichick would like that, but you would assume Belichick would be a good enough coach that he would realize that. So, yeah, Belichick's I, New England's going to go in. They're already they're done with Cam. They tried the Cam thing. It was a disaster. I agree, hundred percent. They're bringing in somebody, yeah. whether it's they make a play at Deshaun Watson, Wentz, uh, like you said, Stafford, like somebody is going to be out there, big name, and they're going to make a run with them. But I got a, I got a stat for you. I don't know if you saw this. The only quarterbacks in NFL history to make two Super Bowls in their first three years as a starter. Can you, any guesses? Uh, There's four of them. Tom Brady. Yeah, yep. Mahomes. Yep. Russell Wilson? Yeah. Was he... T- okay. Uh, Roethlisberger? Nope. Two in their first... Three or four seasons? Two in their first three seasons as a starter. I feel like this other one should be obvious for me. Um, it's... uh, He directly related to Tom Brady. I, I don't know. Uh, Kurt Warner. Oh, yeah. Dude, I always Which, forget Kurt because, like, he was so old at the time. Right. I always forget that, like, he entered the, entered the like, NFL and, like, immediately won the MVP and they were just immediately, like, Super Which Bowl champions. Wild. Yeah. And that, that, the fact that, like you say, Kurt Warner came in at, like, 30, like, it, like late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. I don't remember how yeah. old he was, but. He was he was older. 
and wins the MVP in his rookie. Like, <laughs> right. it's crazy. Yeah. And yeah. a Super Bowl. But, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, the takeaway from that stat is the Super Bowl matchup this week. We've got – there's only been four quarterbacks ever to do this. The two of them are playing in the Super Bowl this year. True or false, this is the greatest quarterback matchup we've ever had in the history of the Super Bowl. Um, hmm. Like legacy considered and everything, or just currently how they're playing? Well, not currently how they're playing, but yeah, legacy. Okay, I, I think when you just consider what's at stake for both guys' legacies... Well, I, I think so, because I think that it's potentially a passing of the torch. Like, if Mahomes wins two Super Bowls, an MVP, in his first three years as a starter, yeah, and one of them is beating Tom Brady, yeah, it kind of feels like it's the passing of the torch, and as long as Mahomes stays healthy, and the situation in Kansas City or wherever he's at stays consistent— we're probably having a conversation in 10 to 15 years of Patrick Mahomes being the greatest quarterback of all time. Yeah. Like he's already like the most talented and like skill wise, he's the greatest in my opinion. Like I've seen enough in three years to know that Patrick Mahomes from an ability standpoint is the greatest of all time. But from a legacy and a career, like this, this is the point where Patrick Mahomes either, you know, he could take that torch and run with it. From a from an ability standpoint, now that I ask that, I'm, I I kind of wonder what would be considered the best quarterback matchup as far as how good both guys were at that stage of their careers. Because obviously, like when it's all said and done, like 20 years from now, we may look back at this and be like Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. You know, like at the end of the day, Tom Brady and Mahomes may go down as the best two quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. So like. So, you know, down the road, you may look back and just see those two names and be like, well, clearly that's the best quarterback matchup we've ever had. But obviously, Tom Brady's not an elite quarterback in the NFL today. As far as where his skill set is right now, like, I don't think anybody thinks he's better than Patrick Mahomes or better than, uh, you know, name who Deshaun Watson. No. Like, you know, so. Aaron Rodgers. He, like, yeah. Right. He's still really good. Like, he's still a top 10 guy, but. He's just not in in the the you know top two or three quarterbacks in the league anymore. So like, would it be like the the ones that come to mind for me Im immediately are Favre Elway, but Elway was also kind of at the later stages where this is next to last season. Denver was more of a a Terrell Davis team than they were an Elway team. Yeah. So that that part of it is also kind of maybe Elway wasn't at his peak. Um, the one, the one that came to mind for for me immediately was Roethlisberger Rogers. Yeah, see, I don't think Roethlisberger has ever like I don't, has Roethlisberger ever been considered like one of the best in the NFL. Like I think he's always been in that like I fringe I think there top five. Like two, yeah, I think there was probably a two or three year stretch, but it was after probably after that Super Bowl yeah. where Roethlisberger propelled himself up into that like top tier conversation in the NFL. Yeah. This is a, this is tough to like yeah. run through and think like Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, maybe. Yeah. Manning Brees obviously is in that category. Cause they were both, at least they were both in the prime of their career at that point. Yeah. They were still both elite. Um, uh, Montana Marino. 
That's that's got to be up there for sure. They were both in the prime of their career at that point. I mean, I guess it kind of feel kind of depends how you what your opinions are on Aikman and Kelly. I mean, they I mean, you, you both get, are obviously Hall both. of Famers and both are great players, but I don't think either one right. is at the level of like Mahomes or like Manning. You know what I mean? Right. You it it's it's a tough argument to say that either of those guys were like the main focal point of their offenses. Right. Right. Well, yeah. Uh well certainly, I mean, you know, I'm a massive Troy Aikman fan, but I'm I'm not Emmett Smith was the straw that stirred the drink. Right. You know, so Right. When I think of those when I think of those offenses, I think Thurman Thomas and Emmett Smith. Yeah, for sure. Um Kurt Warner, Tom Brady? Could be in that conversation. Although, you know, Brady was just getting going. I brought this up the other day. Do you know what Brady's stat line was in that first Super Bowl against Kurt Warner? Yeah, he was. I It was something like 20 of 27 for like 220 yards or something and a touchdown or something. Like it was it wasn't anything impressive. He threw for 145 yards, 145 yards. Wow. And a touch well, it was and a one touchdown game. Yeah, it was a 20 to 17 game. Yeah. But yeah, look, I mean that, yeah, was, that was, but that's one of those that like, you know, you you talk about the the Tom Brady Super Bowl wins and it's not like Tom Brady was the best player in that game. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those where right. he was the he was the guy that played quarterback for the Super Bowl winning team, but it's not like he went out there and torched the the Rams. He threw for 145 yards. Right. But we the only thing we remember from that Super Bowl is that final drive. Right. Of him getting them downfield into yeah. field goal range and then winning the game. And then Vinatieri hitting the, like, 50-yarder, yeah. Right. Uh, shoot. Um, let's see. McNabb, Brady. I mean, no. McNabb was... I mean, if you're... McNabb at that point, though, was... I mean... That was the best he had ever been. And the best he ever like, would be in his career. Brady was starting to get to Brady level. Yeah. Staubach, Bradshaw. Like, like said, uh, yeah. But again, I don't think either one of those guys would be considered on the same level as like Brady and Manning. And well, I, Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that argue Terry Bradshaw is severe, significantly yeah. overrated. Yeah. Yeah, again, like I think when when you when people look back at the Super Bowl, this is going to be the one that from a quarterback standpoint is going to be pointed toward. Um, you know, obviously this isn't 50 touchdown Tom Brady, but yeah. It's up there though. But he's I mean, still a I mean, like I I feel like I I kind of feel bad when I I say that Tom Brady's no longer elite because I think that gives the impression that I'm saying he's a bad quarterback and that's that's not the case. I mean, he's obviously not an MVP caliber quarterback anymore, but he's still, I think, like, if you gave me the option to pick one guy for one season or one game, like, he's still probably a top 10 option, so. What about uh, what about Brady and Matt Ryan? Matt Ryan, MVP that year. But, obviously, I, like, I, I don't know. It depends where you fall on Matt Ryan yeah. being a Hall of Famer. I think he's, like, one of those fringe guys, like a Phillip Rivers, but... Yeah, Matt Ryan's in that that Philip Rivers, I think, tier where he's in a great offense and he put up big numbers. I just don't know that I ever Matt Ryan's in the good but if, not great category, I guess for me. 
if Philip Rivers gets in the Hall of Fame, then I feel like Matt Ryan has to get in the Hall of Fame because they're probably going to yes. end with similar numbers. Yeah. Ryan's got an MVP and made a Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, they're similar type guys. Like at yeah, some crazy, point, like, yeah, each one of those guys at some point had to kind of like take that next step in their career beyond just putting up massive numbers every year and do something special to kind of like separate themselves, right? And, you know, you could argue that they did or didn't do it. Yeah. They, there's serious arguments that Philip Rivers never took that next step. And Ryan did for one year. And, you know, you could argue that Kyle Shanahan probably cost him that Super Bowl. Or Yeah. Uh, if they run the run the football, like, two or three more times, yeah. like, it's probably a completely different story. It's, you know, it's crazy, crazy how how... I mean, there are so many little things that could completely alter the way you look at somebody's legacy. And, like, Eric G. and I talked about this yesterday. But, like, we just talked about this with Matt Ryan. Like, let's say they call one more run play and get one more first down, and it's not possible for Tom Brady to make that comeback. And Matt Ryan is now a Super Bowl-winning quarterback that has an MVP, beat Tom Brady in a Super Bowl, and he's viewed completely different than he's viewed currently. And... I. I Go ahead. I think uh, you finished. You finished because I have a point that's similar. But well, and then along those lines for Tom Brady as well, like that first Super Bowl, you know, he didn't his stats weren't great, but his team wins the Super Bowl. And then obviously, you know, after that, he becomes a great player. But I, I don't know that I thought he was a great player or anybody for that matter would look at him then and say he was a great player. Uh, but no. he became a great player. And then you look at, you know, just some of the wild things that happen, like he gets a Super Bowl because the Seahawks decided to throw the football on the one-yard line. Obviously, that is huge for Tom Brady's legacy, but it had nothing to do with Tom Brady making a big play or not. Uh, the Falcons right. deciding to go into choke mode offens offensively. Obviously, Brady had to do his part, but he was aided significantly by the Falcons' offense. Um, well, think about it, too. If Adam Vinatieri misses, they yeah. he, he could have lost two Super Bowls if Adam Vinatieri doesn't make those kicks. Right. Right. I looking back in Tom Brady's career, the Rams Super Bowl is probably the only one you look at and say there is like it, the only game where like if one play doesn't go a different way, he doesn't win. Or like like like, yeah. like you said like something so minuscule and like small could change and completely change the outcome. Yeah. Every other Super Bowl he's won. Like yeah, one play, two plays it comes down to him winning. And and he could be like Jim Kelly, right? Like it's that's it's so yeah. crazy to me. And, and again, like when we have these conversations, I'm not trying to like put Tom Brady down. It, it's just pointing out like how thin these margins can be in the NFL and and in your in the legacy conversations. Because you know, let's say that remember the AFC Championship two years ago, where the Chiefs and the Patriots were just going back and forth and. Let's say the Chiefs win that coin toss and Patrick Mahomes scores and Brady doesn't get Brady's not even in the last Super Bowl against the Rams or they won 13 to 3. It's just little yeah. things like that that like if it just goes the other way like it's a completely different resume and it's it's just wild to think that there are like 5 6 7 of those things that really I mean ultimately elevate Tom Brady to the status that he's at. So uh, I'm 
I'm interested. That was exactly the point that I was going to make, by the way, is just okay. that Tom Brady's entire legacy was just like could be completely different based on, you know, what, like 10 total plays yeah. of, across 20 years. Well, I, and, this, and then, and then on the other po- side of that conversation, let's say David Tyree doesn't hold the football on his helmet. Like yeah. you could add one more to Brady, you know, take that one right. play away and you might be adding one more to Brady's. Or yeah, Eli or Eli doesn't escape the sack, and they actually sack Eli. Yeah. Like multiple things in that one play. Yeah, if it would have went a different way, they're they're nineteen and zero, and Tom Brady was the quarterback of the greatest team ever. Yeah. So the counterpoint to this argument, I wonder, is can you make this argument for Joe Montana still being the greatest of all time for the fact that he had such dominating Super Bowl victories? And obviously, like, it's less. Like, Brady's about to go for seven. But, I mean, Montana, like, he had a 55-10 to 10 win. Yeah. A 38-16 to 16 win. And, you know, had a couple of, like, one-score games against Cincinnati. But I I don't think that there's that necessarily, like, point perspective where Montana won those four Super Bowls because he had a little bit of luck on his side. You could probably make that argument with Brady in a few of his Super Bowls, like we just did. But they also go the other way. So I, I don't yeah. know. This is a I, Tom Brady's entire career, I think, is an interesting argument because there's so much nuance to your perspective. Yeah. But there's no nuance in thinking that because he beat the Packers on Sunday that he's now the goat. Yeah. yeah. There's no nuance to that. That's just stupid. Right. Right. He was. He was all. I mean. Yeah. I. I don't know if you didn't think he was the goat before, then I, I just don't know what you're doing. But if that was the deciding factor for you, then, you know, it's just like, what are you doing? Um, you're probably in that same boat of people that thought Josh Allen was better than Patrick Mahomes going into Sunday. Ooh, I hope not. So, I mean, I, I'm a big Josh Allen fan, but if you were on that boat in that camp, I just feel like you're doing it just to kind of like to be, be a, counterculture. To be just, Mr. Hot Take, to be right? A douche. Yeah. Right. Like there were, you know, Colin Cowherd, I think, was on one of those shticks last week. And um, I mean, there were a few people that had those takes and I I just chose to ignore it last week. I wasn't going to bring it up and I wasn't going to talk about it because it's just one of those like, hey, I want attention. Pay attention to me because I'm just going to make an outlandish statement. But the, the, the thing that I think put it over the top was the fact that ES, you saw the ESPN graphic, right? Yeah, yeah. ESPN yeah. did the graphic on their pregame show Sunday where they had the, you know, they do the matchup and they have the the head coaches and they give the check mark to Andy Reid and they have, you know, the defenses and all this. And then the quarterback matchup, they gave the check to Josh Allen over Patrick Mahomes. Like, that's the one oh, that I think kind of took it over the top to the point that it's just like, what are we doing here, people? Based on what? Because Patrick Mahomes reportedly had turf toe. Like, Patrick Mahomes. Has made he's an MVP. If Aaron Rodgers wasn't amazing this year, Mahomes would have won another MVP. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, I just and I've said it multiple times on here. I have seen enough in three years from Patrick Mahomes to know that he is hands down the best quarterback in the NFL right now, and from a talent perspective, the best I've ever seen. He's the most skilled quarterback that I've ever seen play the position. Same. Like, I'm, I'm not saying he's the GOAT. I'm, you know, like, obviously what Tom Brady has done over t- a 20-year period is unmatched. And, and you know, these are completely different conversations. But 
I just I, I don't feel like I've ever seen Tom Brady play the position at the level that we're currently seeing Patrick Mahomes play the position with his skill set and the way that he can right. beat you. Like it's just it's it's uh they're they're different conversations and yeah Patrick Patrick Mahomes is gonna have the opportunity if you know he's able to play a long career to to be in that same breath. It it, it says a lot too because I think we're in the golden era of quarterbacking in professional football right now. I think there is more talent at the quarterback position in the league right now than there has ever been. Yeah, It's not like Dan Marino coming in in 1983 and you look around the league and it's like him, Joe Montana, John Elway, and then like 18 guys that would be, wouldn't even be in the NFL today. Yeah. Like there are a lot of really talented quarterbacks that do a lot of things, like a lot of multi-dimensional, like elite level athletic quarterbacks. And Patrick Mahomes is still, I think like, there is a good separation between him and the second guy. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. It's not, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's close. Um, you Colin know, Coward doesn't think so apparently, but yeah, that's, well, that's, it's stupid. Um, <laughs> Jared Goff about Patrick Mahomes and arm talent. So stupid. Have you, yeah. Like, have you ever watched Jared Goff throw a football? Like it's not even close. It's, yes. it's not even close. Like, I'm not saying that Jared Goff has a bad arm, but in comparison? And it, it's not even, he made that list. So, for people listening, Colin Cowherd, uh, it was either right before the season started or like week one, week two, like that early in the season. He does his, uh, Colin's top five arm talents. Number one, Russell Wilson. <laughs> I don't agree that Russell's number one. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you to shut up if you make an argument for Russell Wilson being you know number one or number two. I don't agree, but like I, th- I think there's at least an argument you could make. He's in the t- he's would... safely in the top five, right? Like, I, is that fair for sure. to say? Okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tom Brady, number two, coming off a season in New England where he clearly declined. Drew Brees coming in. Everybody knew that Drew Brees had a noodle arm before the season even started, and then it he, just got worse. It, it, we saw it beginning last year, right? Right, yeah, exactly. We already knew his arm was dead. Kyler Murray at four. I, Kyler Murray, I think there's a, ser- a good argument for him being in the top five. Absolutely. And Jared Goff, five. No Patrick Mahomes in the top five arm talents. No Aaron Rodgers. Just a- absolutely the most absurd thing I've ever seen. And that's why people like don't respect the media when it comes to sports so often is because the people on – with platforms like that do stupid shit. Well, because once you get to the top, you have to be outlandish to stay at the top. Like, that's just the way it goes. And, you know, it's just, you have to stay relevant or I think you're going to get passed by. And, like, honestly, if we were making that list on an all-time scale, Aaron, my top two are Mahomes and Rodgers. Same. On an all-time scale, I think the two most special arm talents I've ever seen in the history of the NFL are Mahomes and Rodgers. So for those guys to not even be on a list on a current top five arm, like it's it's just stupid. And it's it's like, hey, look at me. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be Mr. Hot Take. And I'm going to have guys like Colby Daniels and Aaron Davis talking about this on their podcast to keep my name oh, in the in the cycle. Yeah, it's it's like, it's crazy because I always thought Colin Calhoun was really good at what he did. And I'm not saying he's not. He was. That's where I, he yeah. I'm not saying he's not good at it anymore. He's just gone. He he went to Fox and became Mr. Hot Take Guy. Like, the way that he does this is completely different now than it used to be. He's become 
what basically Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless have been, right? Like it's, you elevate to this certain status in our business and then all of a sudden you have to just start start making these outlandish statements on a daily basis to keep your name in the cycle. And look, I mean, we don't know that it's very possible and likely that, you know, the people at Fox called him in and like said, hey, like we kind of need you to do what Skip and Stephen A. do like we need you to just be as outlandish as you possibly can, yeah. even if you don't 100 percent believe in it. But like, it doesn't matter. Like, there's a point where like you have to say this is too stupid for me. Yeah. Like, even for what we're trying to do, this is too stupid. Like, yeah, it's not even like we're. It's not even like it's we're coming off the season where Jared Goff was really good and took them to the Super Bowl. They were terrible last year. Yeah, and he puts them in the top five. Yeah. Stupid. Like if you want, if somebody wants to pay me like a hundred thousand dollars a year to uh, every day come on a show and just be like Patrick Mahomes is an average quarterback, like I'll do it. Like if you want to pay me that, fine. I'll I'll yeah. you know like, but like I, I I don't know. Like it's just there's a reason why the guys that get paid a bunch of money are the ones that are making these bullshit hot takes versus like the people but, that are just giving their honest opinions because nobody actually thinks that. And that's why, you know, that's why I don't pay attention to any of those shows. Like anybody that's a real sports fan, I don't think actually watches those or puts any weight into anything. Any of those individuals say, because it's all bullshit. There's an old Chinese proverb and it rings true, obviously in this world. Uh, any, any publicity is good publicity. I think the China, I think it's an old Chinese proverb. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially, yeah, especially in sports. So, um, any hot takes on the Super Bowl? Uh, not yet. I, I don't know what I want to see because as a sports fan, like I want to see Patrick Mahomes win because I want, I, I just, I want to see what he can, like where his career can go. If he's already got two Super Bowls, like, yeah, I want to be alive and witness like in a, the greatest of all time. Like I already got to see it with Tom Brady for his entire career, but if I could witness it again and watch Patrick Mahomes do the things that Mahomes does, like part of me wants to see the chiefs win, but part of me also, I hate the chiefs and <laughs> I love Bruce Arians and I want Bruce Arians to win a super bowl. So I, I much like the championship games, like I, I, I'm probably going to be satisfied either way, but if I had to kind of anticipate what's going to happen, I think the Chiefs are probably going to win pretty easily. Did you um, did you see the the Chiefs Bucks game the first time around back in November? Do you remember that at all? Probably. Okay. Probably. I don't remember exactly. Obviously, Kansas City won. Yeah. They won pretty convincingly, right? Well, the final score I was the final score was twenty seven twenty four. But Kansas City had a 17-0 lead in the first quarter and then kind of put it into cruise control. And, they, I mean, they controlled the game the whole way. And then Tampa got, you know, in typical fashion, Tampa got two touchdowns in the fourth quarter and then made the Chiefs kind of have to re-engage. And then Kansas City held on to win. So, it was you know, it was like one of those games where, like, the final score wasn't as close as really the game was, but, but the Buccaneers did have a chance to win it late. Uh, and and made Kansas City have to really cl- you know like wake up again mm-hmm. after they had kind of like established themselves as as the better team and coasted to the end. So uh, that was the first part. And and you know the the thing that stood out to me in that game was like Mahomes threw for 462 yards and three touchdowns. Like he was just 
ridiculous. Uh, Brady also threw for like, I don't know, I think it was like 370-ish and three touchdowns, but he also had a couple picks. But I think the thing that stands out to me about this matchup, obviously with Kansas City, you know, they can beat you in so many ways. But when you consider Mitchell Schwartz, maybe the best right tackle in the NFL, I I don't know what his status is, but, you know, at last check, he was doubtful to be able to come back uh, this season. And then their other tackle, Eric Fisher, tore his Achilles, and he's out. Right. So if Well, I thought... Go ahead. I thought in the NFC Championship game, and it wasn't really being talked about a, a lot, at least I didn't see on Twitter it being really being mentioned, but like... I think if David Bakhtiari would have played, I think Green Bay probably could have won that yes. game. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was about to say. I, when you take away the two tackles for Kansas City, JPP and Shaq Barrett are both elite edge rushers. And if you don't have your starting tackles, like those guys can have a massive impact on the game. So when you look at how much Green Bay struggled with the edge rush and how significantly that impacted Green Bay's ability to make big plays within that game, like... I'm not saying that it'll be the same with Kansas City because I think Kansas City is more versatile offensively than Green Bay is. But if that's going to be a factor. I mean, it, it takes away sure. a big part of being able to stretch the field vertically if you don't have the time to do it. And again, I, I just think that's one of those things to circle because I, I, you know, in a if all things are equal going into this game and we're not talking about the tackles being out, I think this is Kansas City. Like, I, I don't entertain the idea of, of Tampa winning at all. But... Tampa's ability with those edge rushers to play against two backup tackles for Kansas City and impact Kansas City's offense, I think, is a significant thing to pay attention to. But look, you're uh, also yeah, talking about absolutely. Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy being two of the most brilliant offensive minds in the world and having two weeks to put together screen packages and everything else to kind of counteract the aggressiveness of those guys getting up the field on the edge. So that's also a big role, but I think it's that to me is the main thing I'm paying attention to going into this game. I I love this match. Like this is an interesting matchup. There is so many like storylines and and perspectives to look at this matchup from. And like I as a fan, like obviously, like I want it to be an amazing game. Um, last year's Super Bowl wasn't. I mean, it it was good, but I just kind of never really doubted that Mahomes was going to win the game, even at the end, but even as much as, as well as San Francisco's defense had played, Patrick Mahomes is so elite and such a difference maker that until he loses, I kind of just figure he's going to make that play to win the game. Yeah. Because it's in three years, that's all he's done. I I have high hopes for this game being great. I hope it is. And most Tom, like Tom, if there's one thing you can say about Tom Brady is uh, his Super Bowls are usually pretty damn entertaining. Yeah. So, Hopefully we get that, but man, I just, even with the tackles, like the questions there, like, like you said, I think the difference is Andy Ree and Eric Bieniemy, And I just think that as good as Todd Bowles has been calling that Tampa defense this year, and like, they've got some dudes on that defense, Devin White, like those edge rushers that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, Levante David. Some of their young. Yeah. Levante David, they're, they're secondary. It's young, but they got some dudes out there making plays. I just think that. I've seen too much for too like there's too too much of a sustained level of excellence from that Kansas City offense that even with potentially both tackles being out I just I still put my money on Kansas City probably winning I I I'll say this I think that whatever the spread is and Kansas City's probably going to be the favorite 
I would take the Kansas. I would take Kansas City in the points. Casey opened up at minus three and a half. I haven't seen an update since Sunday, but like immediately when Kansas City clinched the win, the the initial line was minus three and a half. I would take that a heartbeat. Yeah, I I like Kansas City to win. Um, like I said, I think they're just so good at at scheming against a, a defense and and because of how good they are in the screen game and how creative they are in the screen game, they're so good at, at preventing teams from getting overly aggressive with their rush. So that's that's where, if this were anybody else, not having your two tackles and having to face JPP and Shaq Barrett on the edge would be, I think, so significant that it's probably too tough to overcome. But with Kansas City, you still have to pay attention to it. Like, I'm not saying that Kansas City just completely takes that out of play because it will be a factor, but... They just they have the ability to counteract that with with what they do offensively and and uh, yeah I, I I still think Kansas City wins but that to me is just a, a big part of what how how that game will be decided so well I think we get caught up too in the Chiefs offense being like unbelievably amazing their defense I mean it's not like their defense has not been dominant throughout the playoffs like they shut yeah. down Cleveland yeah they shut down Josh Allen who apparently some people thought was better than Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> Like, their defense is playing really good football right now, and I think that I I could see this game being forty to thirty five or you know twenty to sixteen. Like, I think that we could very well see a game where both the defenses are dominant and the offenses struggle, or vice versa. Like, this is it's it's a hard Super Bowl to like really predict how it's going to play out. I think the Chiefs win ultimately, but I could see it going many different ways. Yeah. Their offense gets all the credit. I think Chris Jones is such a massive part of what Kansas City does and how disruptive he is in the middle of that defense. That, like, you know, anytime anybody's ever talked about Tom Brady having struggles offensively, it's been when they faced, you know, interior pressure. And that's that's what Chris Jones does. I mean, he's, he's, you know, after Aaron Donald, he might be the next best guy in the league. Yeah. Yeah. Probably so. And it's a, Sure, uh, people in Kansas City are super thankful that Bill O'Brien had no intentions on trying to bring Tyron Matthew back to Houston. Oh. And, yeah, their defense is good. It, it's not elite. Like, I don't think their defense is, like, a top-five defense by any means. But, like, they have consistently just been good. Yeah. But they get overshadowed because the yeah. other side of the ball is, is elite, is top number, like, I don't know, it's top one. They're one. They're number one. Like, they're the best offense over the last three years in the NFL. And we just kind of forget about the defense that they've got, like, top-tier level players in their defense. Like you said, Chris Jones is able to make plays. Uh, I don't know if Tyron Matthew is elite necessarily, but he is really good in that secondary. And he I think makes he's a elite. lot of plays. Yeah, You think so? Yeah. I, I haven't watched enough of the Chiefs to see if he's improved on his past defense. I know his past defense when he was in Houston and in Arizona was egregious at times but well he, i mean it's like, still an issue he's, it's not them. like he's a great cover guy but they just you know there's a playmaker yeah he's a playmaker and and they put him in positions to make plays so yeah i i still think in the nfl nowadays i think that's what you have to have at the safety position you're never going to have safeties that are going to be able to give you everything you need in both the run and pass game but if you can have Ford ball, it doesn't exist. Anymore. Right. Like it's just, it's so difficult the way that offenses attack you. Now, if you can have a guy like that, that can be a playmaker that can obviously make plays in the passing game, but can be physical and, and do everything that he does. I, I mean, I think it's perfect. 
Yeah. That yeah, that's it's fun though, man. Like there's both these teams are they man. Like I could go on for we could go position by position and both teams have top tier talent Absolutely. at every position. Yeah. A lot of star power in this game. And look, I said this uh on the Monday pod Again, I think the, my, my biggest takeaway from that NFC Championship game, you know, outside of the LaFleur kicking the field goal, was how good the Tampa defense was and how good those edge rushers were. But overall, that front seven for Tampa is no joke. And, I, you know, again, because it's Tom Brady and you look at all of the big names offensively with Evans and Godwin and Antonio Brown and Gronk and Leonard Fournette and Rojo, I mean, it's those are all big names. The, the defense gets overshadowed, but the front seven with Vita Vea and Ndamukong Sue and Levante David and Devin White and then, the you know, Barrett and JPP, like, I think you're hard-pressed to find a better front seven than that in the NFL. Like, that group is incredible. And they were great last year. They had the best rush defense in the NFL yeah. last year. So, I mean, it's not like these dudes just came out of nowhere. We just kind of sleep on them because the offense is... The offense has bigger names, yeah. Ball. Right. And last year, the team just wasn't that good as far as like winning and losing because of the quarterback situation. So a lot of people slept. Yeah, I mean, they're in sustained like levels of being good in that front seven. Um, Yeah, I mean, Sue has been all over the place, but he's still, like you say, still impactful. Vita Vea is one of he's not on that Chris Jones, like Aaron Donald level, but he's really is really good interior lineman. Well, and he's just such a problem in the middle of that line that it just, it, you know. So big. Yeah, yeah, it just, it creates opportunities for everybody else, which is what you want out of that position, right? Like it's, you don't need a, you don't need a guy making the plays in that position. You need a guy that, that demands so much attention that it opens up everyone else's ability to make plays. So, yeah, I mean, this is from a skill level, like these teams are pretty evenly matched from a skill level standpoint. And like we said a few minutes ago, like it feels like it's going to be coaching and scheming that ends up being the difference in this matchup. Because unless, you know, I, I guess it would come down to the two quarterbacks and the coaching. If Tom Brady goes out there and throws three picks against the Chiefs, it's kind of hard to assume that they don't easily win this game. Yeah. But, I mean, who knows? It's, it's, I'm excited for it. I'm a little annoyed that we have to wait another week uh, like we always do I, i'm annoyed every week like i just want it to happen already especially I'll when watch. you have to take away all of the normal super bowl activities because of covid but there's no week to have a week there's no, yeah i was about to say there's no reason to take a week off like let's just let's just kick this thing off on sunday i mean you don't have the whole super bowl traditional like press conferences and media day and you know everything that goes into it but yeah it it uh yeah Let's play this thing already. But look, it's by the time Super Bowl Sunday rolls around, we're all going to be fiending for it so badly that yes. it's going to be it's going to be awesome. My least favorite game of the year, every year, because it's the last. I hate one. it. It's the last one. Yeah, yeah. It's like I want to be excited. I'm excited for it. It's fun. But like as the game's playing, I'm like, damn, we only have a we only have 30 minutes left of football this year. Right. Only 15 minutes left. Oh, it's over. I know. That sucks. You're, you're so much like me in the fact that, like, you're a fan of basically all sports. But, like, right. you you don't really get into basketball while football is going on. Like, you still like it, but 
until football ends, you don't just cannonball completely into basketball yet. And I'm, you know, I'm that same way. Like I'm, I'm like, there's kind of a sadness when football ends before I transition into being like all in on basketball. Well, football too is the only sport where there's like a real level of anticipation in between games. Right. Because they, NBA and baseball, they play so many games in a week right. that, you know, you go to sleep and the next thing you know, they're playing another game. Football, the game ends, your team loses or like the, the Monday night game's over and the week of games are over and you're like, damn. I gotta wait. Like, there's a Thursday night game, obviously, but you're like six days. I gotta wait. I gotta wait six days before I get a real day of football again. Yeah. And then the Super Bowl ends, and it's that, but just magnified to like a hundred when you have to wait months for another game. Yeah. As long as we don't get a thirteen to three game. Uh yeah. Let's yeah. Give me just give me something good. Uh, my ideal game would be like thirty-one twenty-eight. That's like. Perfect for me. Some defensive plays, yeah. but not just like where it's just too one-sided. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I I think the high end for me is like, you know, 38-35, 38-31, 38-34, something right in that range, I think is. Yeah. Give let, let me see the winning team put together five to six scoring possessions and not all field goals. Like, it's, you know, I don't, obviously, you got to punch it in, so. And I don't want to, I don't want to see a defensive struggle. I want to see a game where the offenses are playing really well, but like once every 10 plays or so, the defense does something really good, like a big sack. Yeah, the defense has to be able to make plays for it to feel authenticated. Because if it's, if it's, it, you know, this is, this is the issue that that OU Tech game had. Yes, they were both great offenses, but the defenses also just had, I mean, weren't going, weren't capable of getting stops and tackling and things like that. So, right. Like you had, you had the best of both worlds, or you had the best of the offense, but also the worst of the defense. Whereas with this one, at least there's the reasonable expectation that there are defensive players on both teams that can make big plays. Yeah, I th- I said after that OU Tech game, that was one of the worst football games I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I know it's controversial because people love that game because of just it was the it was crazy. It was a wild yeah. game. It was a lot of fun to watch, but just from like what I expect from high level football. Well, there was just zero. Yeah. Again, like I, I, it was entertaining, but there was zero expectation that either defense was able to get a stop. Whereas again, like in this game, it may be high scoring, but you understand with both teams, like you're, you may be one play away from Chris Jones sacking Tom Brady and, you know, forcing a fumble or, uh, you know, on the other side, like Devin white just makes a huge play in the middle of the field and forces a like, there's just so many defensive players that are are star caliber players that that could make a game changing type play. So, yeah, another reason this matchup is uh, super exciting, and I think that we got lucky this year, yeah. as football fans, because I don't think there was any potential Super Bowl matchup with those four teams that we could have gotten that would not be extremely interesting. Yeah, and don't kick field goals for crying out loud. Yeah, especially if you're it, uh, like it's. If you're within 10 yards of the end zone, don't kick a field goal. Everybody knows it. Like, Andy Reid's definitely not going to. No. Did you see the, the Mahomes scoring stat for the postseason? Nah. Okay, so in Patrick Mahomes' postseason career, on drives that don't end with a kneel down, so taking out all the end of the first half or end of the game kneel down drives, Mahomes has had 63 possessions in postseason play, and the Chiefs are averaging 3.75 points per possession. So they're averaging 
three-fourths of a point more than a field goal per possession. So you're essentially sacrificing three-fourths of a point every time you decide to go for three. Yeah, and uh, remind me how many Super Bowls they've been to in uh, the past two years. Uh, yeah. Two. Right. Wow. So maybe uh, maybe understand that you're probably not going to beat them if you're just going to kick a bunch of field goals. I mean, you should know. It, you should I, just know that they're not going to punt on fourth and short unless they're, they're way backed up. Yeah. And they're not going to kick a field goal right. on fourth and short. Like, just, it's not complicated. You know that he's going to be super aggressive. Mm-hmm. Just prepare for it. And match it. Yeah. Like, you've got to, ma- you've got to match their aggressiveness. It's... They're already like that's the, that's the thing that's great about Kansas City is they're already the most talented team, but they're also the most aggressive team almost every week. So like, yeah, you have you have to match that aggressiveness just to even have a chance because you're already for the most part probably out talented or out outmatched in in what the way that they can beat you. I just don't like I don't I'm at the point where I don't understand why coaches just aren't aggressive all the time because. To to me, to my recollection, it was kind of, Mike Tomlin was kind of the one that first started. Like we're going to go for two a lot more often. We're going to go for it on fourth down more often. We're going to play aggressive because analytically, like it kind of backs up taking those chances. And then Andy Reid by has absolutely done that and kind of taken it to the next level. And then I just see guys like like Mike Vrabel, in like just punting on fourth and short in a yeah. playoff game. I see even going to the college level. We talk about Gundy all the time. Like. At any level of football, like it's the analytics are going to be the same as far as like percentage chances and all this stuff. But like, I don't understand how you can be a head coach at this point at a high level and just not realize that it's way more beneficial to be aggressive. Yeah. The aggressive coaches win so much more. Yeah. Yeah. I Lincoln it's... Riley. He's Lincoln Riley's an aggressive coach when it comes to his play calling. They win a lot of games. Mm hmm. And almost every time they've lost, we generally find some uh, some conservative situations, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, I'm with you, man. And and look, again, when you are the underdog, I don't know why that isn't taken a step further. Like, it's almost like these teams that, that are in the underdog role go even more conservative instead of more aggressive. Like, I think you have to counteract the gap in talent with I think more aggressiveness, in my opinion, I don't I, like that. It's crazy to me, the Buffalo situation a week ago. Like, you know, if it, obviously there are every every circumstance is unique, so there are exceptions to every rule. But like the first touchdown or the first field goal of the game, I thought they should have gone for it again. Set the tone. We're not going to settle for threes because you're not going to beat the Chiefs that way. Kansas City. Yeah. But, but, like, in that one circumstance, if you want to tell me, hey, we want to get points on the board, you know, it's the opening drive of the game, okay, I kind of get that. But, like, the rest of the game, after you you get completely dominated following a 9-0 start, how are you kicking field goals the rest of the way? How do you look at what had happened throughout that game and think, you know what, we're going to get it done with field goals? Like, you have to, you have to close that gap by being extra aggressive and by giving your team extra chances. And you like just the 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 fact that like you don't trust or you're not aware or like you refuse to put the ball in the hands of these like top tier guys at quarterback like yeah. Josh Allen. They showed the stat and like I had heard the stat before, but like 
I saw it again on Sunday, and it kind of just blew my mind. He's never thrown an interception in the red zone. Like, this is a guy that is wow, consistently – yeah, he's – over his career, he has – he's like – in his red zone, he's got like 60 touchdown passes and no interceptions. That's insane. Some, like some – I don't know if it was 60, but I know for a fact he has never thrown an interception in the red zone. You know you have this dude at the quarterback position. I would hope if you're Sean McDermott, you're aware of this stat that he yeah. has never turned the ball over in the red zone. Why are you kick, don't ever kick a field goal in the red zone, especially if you're playing the Chiefs, like right. in the playoff game. Right. You have nothing to lose. You win, you go to the Super Bowl. If you lose, who you lost to the Chiefs. Yeah. They were gonna Where beat you anyway. Like you that's the thing. To. You're gonna right. lose anyway. Right. Matt LaFleur choosing to kick a field goal over putting the hands, putting the ball in the hands of the NFL MVP, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, that's playing at as high a level as he's ever played at, and yeah. you want to trust your defense, who's done nothing all game outside of like a couple lucky turnovers. Yeah, and it's just it's stupid. Like I just so often in football today, we see the coaches cost their team so many games by just being too conservative. Like you said, it's just the, I, the what's the argument to back it up other yeah. than other than just kind of being afraid. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's crazy. Like if you are if if you have the 85 Bears defense and they've played great for an entire game and you're facing Rex Grossman on the other side, then sure, kick the field goal and go for the defensive stop. But I mean, it was I, I yeah, everything is circumstantial and you know, I always say this. There are exceptions to every rule. Like you can you can make grand statements about anything and you can generally find at least one or two things that go against the grain there. But sure. more often than not, you know, I think what we're talking about is is the way that you have to approach it. And I just don't know why uh, it, it happens the other way more often than not. Like, it, at, at some point, I believe we're going to get to this stage where teams start doing this, but it's crazy to me that we haven't got there yet. I mean, this... I what, The NFL is so quick to just kind of change and adapt. Well, not in the NFL, but just football in general. Like, from college to the NFL, like, they're very quick to adapt and kind of jump on these trends like I like the Dolphins ran the Wildcat one season and then for the next five years we saw teams trying to run a Wildcat yeah. offense more often and it doesn't work all the time but I don't understand why this trend has taken so long league-wide to just for people to kind of jump on like why there's still only a handful of coaches they coach super aggressively yep it's crazy or play call super aggressively yeah yeah I think you know it, it part of it is probably just it's it's the way that uh these guys have just come up Brained, yeah. like yeah. learning the game and it'll just take time for, you know, this new era of guys that learned it a different way to, to maybe start making those calls when the game's on the line. Because again, when it's, when it's your livelihood and it's your reputation and, you know, potentially your next contract on the line, I think it just, you, you go to what you know. And, you know, a lot of these guys in the NFL are older, older guys and what they know is playing a conservative brand of football. So yeah. Which is what's amazing about Andy Reid is because he's been around forever. Absolutely. Like he's three decades that he's coached in in the NFL, and he is one of the quickest ones to evolve with the league. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's wild, man. Well, uh, we will catch up again next Wednesday. Obviously, it'll be uh, pretty much, unless something really crazy happens over the next week, I think next Wednesday will be completely dedicated to uh, the Super Bowl. And... Uh, Let's uh, yeah. Let's hope Deshaun Watson gets traded by then, but yeah, probably not gonna happen. Is there? Uh, is there? I know he said that he would okay the Jets trade. I really don't want to see him in a Jets uniform. 
Neither do I, because I've already committed to being a fan of whatever team he gets traded to. Yeah. And, uh, God, I just... Those are the two worst scenarios for me is that he stays at Houston and, I, and I'm still a Texans fan, or he goes to the Jets. Give me anything else. There's no way they keep him in the AFC, right? Like, it's just... I don't know. They're apparently pretty... There's been reports that, like, people inside of the organization are really high on Tua. Yeah. So... I could see Tua going there. I think I, think I would prefer Miami scenario, over the Jets. So would I. I could be a I could be a Miami fan, and I think that'd be a good scenario both for both teams. But I think it's, if if it's, it's Indy, Tennessee, and Jacksonville are the only teams I would imagine are off the table for yeah for trading Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Everybody else is open. They're going to be so bad. Who cares if he's playing in Miami or New York? Yeah, I saw. Uh, I, I, maybe it was uh, Darren Rovell or somebody like that tweeting a bunch of uh, photoshops of Deshaun Watson in different uniforms. And every team, yeah. The the Deshaun Watson in the all black Saints uni looked sick. That yeah, they're gonna. They're. I mean, also like the Bears. I like Deshaun Watson in the Bears uniform. I could root for the Bears. I've always said that if I had to pick a new team. The Bears would be like one of my three final candidates to be a fan of. So yeah. that'd be a good situation. I could be a Bears fan for sure. Big market. Yeah. Some history, some tradition. Yeah. Uh, they don't win. They never win. So it's not like I'm hopping on a bandwagon. You get, on, right. You know. And you get to constantly complain about the quarterback, which is, you know, like it's, that's perfect. They're always exactly. good at everywhere except the quarterback. Right. I mean. And if they get to Sean Watson, I'll, I'll really enjoy watching his career just go down the toilet. Yeah, maybe it was Adam Schefter. I'm, I, I can't remember who it was that tweeted these. I'm tr- I saw I saw what you're talking about. It was like the he's like the most photoshopped player ever in a different jersey or something like that. Yeah, and it had a whole bunch of like it, they yeah. they put up a bunch of pictures of the photoshops with all the oh yeah it was Adam Schefter yeah so here's the Bears looks good in the Bears uniform like I said the all black Saints uni with the gold helmet is. He looks look. sick. Uh, San Francisco isn't that bad. That's a yeah. San Francisco, uh, Miami makes sense. Miami, yeah. There's a lot of teams that make sense for bringing in Deshaun Watson. Like five teams, maybe. Yeah. Where you could argue that that doesn't really make sense for them to do it. But there's a Jets Photoshop that looks terrible. I don't like him in the Steelers uniform either. Here's a Washington uniform. That's a big no for me. Denver, no. Oh, well, duh. Ugh. Yeah. I don't care. As long as he's not wearing a Texans uniform, I don't care where he's at. You're, re- you're ready to cash in the Texans I'm fandom. I'm so, I'm, yeah. I'm just at the point where it's just beyond repair for me. Much like Sean Watson. Yeah. You have to, you have to move JJ Watt as well, right? Yeah. Like I would, I was under the impression, I was under the impression that he was gone re- before any of this Watson oh, stuff okay. started. Okay. That, he he just kind of he kind of had alluded to wanting out during the season. Yeah, and then he's on the final year of his contract. It does not it. They have no cap hit if they trade him. So oh well, yeah, yeah. I mean, why not move him? Like send him to Pittsburgh or something. Like send him somewhere that's like right on the fringe. It'll p- give him yeah twenty million a year for one year. Yeah, let him have a chance. Yeah, like, I mean he's he's yeah. uh he's gonna go down as one of the greatest defensive players in the history of the game. So. Don't. For sure. I would love to watch him and go to Pittsburgh and play with TJ. Yeah. Be, I think it'd be a lot of fun. It kind of feels Reggie White-esque to me with uh with Watt. Like, 
everything he's accomplished yeah. for such a long period of time, and then you know, let's send him to a contender at the end and and let him get that. Super I wouldn't Bowl. be upset. How Green Bay would be a great destination yeah. for him to go to. Yeah, and it fits from a scheme standpoint. That fits. Sure, it'd be fun though. Yeah. So uh, yeah, hopefully he gets traded, and uh, I could be a happy boy next week. But <laughs> even if I'm not, we got uh, we got a fun Super Bowl to talk about. Yeah, and uh, we'll get into uh, your John Wall fandom in the next couple of weeks. Okay. Big John Wall fan. John Wall Die fan. Yeah. yeah. Long time John Wall fan. Now we're up in the Houston Rockets. All right, my friend. Uh, have a good week, and uh, we will catch up next Wednesday. Right. See you. Thanks to Aaron Davis for joining me on today's edition of the Colby Daniels podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. If you uh, are unfamiliar with these products, don't hesitate to give them a call. Ask questions, 405-458-9699. They're all about helping people live a better life. And I just, I love that about them. That is their mission in life is to help you live a better life. So uh, if you don't know anything about these products or you have questions specifically about these products, then don't hesitate to ask those questions. And we're also saving you 15% off your online order. Abotanicalcompany.com, discount code Colby Show at checkout, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, discount code Colby Show at checkout of your online order, abotanicalcompany.com. Everybody have a great day, stay safe, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.